What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me, as he does each and every time, my best friend, my co-host, the coach of our podcast, the one and only Greg Manakis. What's going on, my guy? What's up, bro? What's up, bro? I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, watching the Celtics game last night, I went to bed in bad spirits, but I woke up today. I texted with a few people, my high school coach. I hit up Smitty. I was asking him his perspective on some things. I, I feel like I have a good understanding of what's going on with the Celtics right now. So I'm excited to talk to you about it without being too negative. Okay. Yeah, we can definitely get in because, you know, so we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. It's about 4 p.m. Central time. So as you're listening to this, hopefully you're getting set for the Celtics and Mavericks tonight. And on the back half of this podcast, we're really going to dig into the Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic of it all, getting you set for that matchup tonight. But, you know, as we're recording, it's it's really it's a little bit somber and it's not like Greg's going to try and pick my mood up a little bit. Not that my mood's all that bad. So I, I texted you last night, Greg, as this game was going on. And hopefully if you're listening to this, hopefully you didn't even bother to watch the fourth quarter. I hope I you not. found a better, <laughs> Yeah, I know you didn't. And I, I was kind of doing the research for the later half of our podcast with it on in the background. I hope if you're listening to this, I hope you found something more productive to do with your time than watch the fourth quarter of what was a record setting 150 points for the Oklahoma city thunder, which is kind of crazy because number one, Obviously, they were without SGA last night. Mm-hmm. But number two, this is a franchise that had Kevin Durant for a decade and Russell Westbrook and Paul George and has had, you know, even, even Melo could still at least put up some buckets when he was on their team for a year. Like, this is a team that has had some pretty intense firepower and they dropped a franchise record, 150 points. And, you know, I texted you after the game last night. This was one of those embarrassing frustrating games not one of those Mm -hmm. embarrassing man let's blow it all up the season's over the world is falling but just as a fan it was just a frustrating game that you know it's it's almost like a closer in in baseball that has a bad outing you just got to move on you you move on to the next one Mm -hmm. uh but it sounds like you do have you've you made some calls you've talked to some peeps what is it that has got you feeling you know not as down or or not as bad about what transpired in oklahoma city It's not necessarily that I don't feel bad about it. I'm just trying to understand like how we've gotten to this point of like experiencing this level of disappointment watching this team this year. So I have a theory. I just want to run it by you. Mm -hmm. You let me know what you think about this theory. So to me, it's kind of like that Jalen Rose rule. I was talking about what success is. It's a function of your realistic expectations. So I tweeted out today the idea of like confirmation bias in Celtics Twitter. You know, people have a narrative they want to run with. Uh, for example, Joe Mazzulla shouldn't be the head coach. Example, So they just look for all of the evidence to confirm that Joe Mazzulla shouldn't yeah. be a head coach, right? Jalen mm-hmm. Brown's a terrible defender. They look for all the evidence that Jalen Brown's a terrible defender, so on and so forth. So I was thinking to myself, what is it about this team that has got me to this point right now where I'm so disappointed? So I think what it is, is that we as a fan base wanted to believe coming into this year that there was this big aha moment in the finals last year, right? That turned these guys magically through this experience and this run into different players, more mature versions of themselves. Then 
They come out super hot to start the year. It seems like they learned lessons. We're looking for evidence to prove our theory that that was the aha moment, which confirmed that hope. That hope then turned into a belief that we had got over this, um, you know, metaphysical barrier that existed when in reality they're probably more or less the same players as last year with slight improvements, but not as drastic as we were hoping in that we kind of fooled ourselves into believing. What do you think about that? So explain to me a little bit more. So, because I think one of the things that I, I saw going around with, like you said, a lot of there's, there's half the fan base that is all of a sudden turning on Joe Missoula, which I think last night, it's just, it's, there's no way that that's on Joe Missoula. What happened last night? That, that was on yeah. the players that was from the jump. And, it, and you and I had texted this because I bet the Celtics and the over, which I have for much of the season and has been lucrative for you, boy. And I bet this. And then I saw about three minutes later that SGA was out for the game. And I texted yeah. you and I was like, Oh my God, I just bet Celtics in the over kind of penciling in SGA for 30 plus points because that's what he does he's averaging i think 31 plus per game dude's gonna be all nba he's unbelievably so much fun to watch and so then when he was out you know you text back to me hey maybe this is a blessing in disguise for the or the celtics just got a big break something something mm-hmm. to that effect and i said back to you you know there's this doc rivers quote where he talks about you know and he and doc rivers has coached many a team with many an all-star that he hates when his team goes up against the other team not having their best player because mm-hmm. there's this sense of entitlement which jalen brown talked about in the post game that you come into this this and it's it's probably pretty natural pretty you know human to just be like oh the best player is not there on a team that's already five games under you know 500 and mm-hmm. we're the number one team in the nba this should be a cakewalk. This is an easy night. The one guy we're all geared up for isn't there. And that's when you see a lot of times, especially in the NBA 82 game season, team lets their guard down team like the Oklahoma city goes ahead and and takes advantage. And so, you know, when you talk about these guys having a different mindset, getting past that, you know, metaphysical barrier, as you put it, which, which I really like the way that, that you phrase that. And you know, there's been a lot of comparisons to where the Celtics were in January last year when it gets back to this whole Joe Missoula thing and how, you know, we were part of the group that was bashing Ime because we were very frustrated with seeing the same mistakes yeah. over and over again. And so now those same people that weren't patient with Ime, which we weren't, I don't think we called for him to be fired, but we were also growing impatient with Ime as a coach. Now we're calling for, for Joe Missoula. And so when it comes to that mindset, the thing that it felt like had switched, and this is something that Ime got a lot of credit for, which is why I think you're seeing part of this backlash against Joe Missoula because they do have different styles. As Grant Williams talked about, Joe Missoula calls a lot of timeouts. It doesn't say anything, which I don't know. I don't really know what to make of that, but that's just you know it's what Grant Williams had to say. But that Ime got them to flip their mindset into being tough, into being mentally strong and seemingly being a different team. And I think at times this year, the game has come so easy to them in the first part of the season, like you said, that we didn't necessarily even need to see that. And, you know, I I think it's this has been a super long-winded way of trying to answer your question because I, I, I don't know what – I don't really know the best way to answer as to whether or not they're different or they're the same or somewhere in the middle, which is probably what this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not saying they haven't improved at all. Right. I'm just saying like the, the improvement is more incremental than this huge jump that we thought they had made at the very beginning of the season where in the finals last year, yeah, the, the war is more physical than us and all that, but like the offense just was non-existent. We still play great defense in the finals last yeah. year. 
It was just the offense. All right. So when the offense comes out humming and that's the one thing that we were all really looking forward to, what types of improvements have they made on that side of the ball? And you see Jason Tatum being more physical, getting to the line more, you know, knocking down threes early on in the season, all this stuff that we were hoping to see from Tatum. He does it right. Jalen Brown, um, tighten up that handle a little bit, slightly improved decision-making, you know, getting back to being, uh, an above the rim athlete, which we didn't see quite as much last year. He's dunking on heads again, you know, mm-hmm. and we're like, all right, Jalen Brown's coming out, man on a mission, underwater workouts, all these things. He's a new guy, right? And he def- definitely looks like a better athlete this year, but maybe that, um, you know, the improvement improvement in his IQ and decision-making hasn't quite improved that much as much as we wanted it to mark is smart. Now is this like amazing point guard. who's the top, I don't know, 12 point guard in the league. He knows how to run the show. He learned from the, you know, from going up against Steph Curry and all this stuff that he has to play a certain way. And like, he has moments and he's been really, really good this year. Marcus has been awesome. But then there are games like last night where he reverts. And the same thing in the, in the Nuggets game, Marcus looked like old Marcus and not the new and improved Marcus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are habits that these guys keep kind of sliding back into. So like, yeah, we've improved. Maybe it's less frequent that we see some of these bad habits, but when they all happen in the same game, and then they just like maybe to your point about Ime not being there this year, there isn't that you know tough-minded coach who's holding them accountable. Maybe that maybe there's some you maybe. know maybe there's an argument there, but I think that you know with the discourse on Twitter surrounding Missoula, a lot of people also came back and said this is on the players. You know the players have to be able to dig themselves out of it, and I think that's the greater point to what Missoula's theory on coaching is. Like the players have to be able to figure mm-hmm. it out. You know, like I can be the greatest coach in the world, but in the toughest moments, I'm going to need my guys to be able to figure it out. The issue is if you don't, if you don't have enough people that know how to navigate those situations, that know how to figure it out, <laughs> that know how to figure it out, then that can just lead to regression. And yeah, what we're seeing. And, and, you know, as you were talking, what it really sounded to me is, you know, we always hear about progressions, not linear when it comes to young guys in the league. Right. And so that's kind of what was jumping to my mind is that last year we saw, you know, a team struggle to find its footing for the first half of the season. And then they took off like a rocket ship. And we were like, that's who this team is now. That's who they're going to be. And you think about a lot of young guys who who first year in the league, that's what happens to them. And then second year, it's like, I mean, even Jason Tatum is kind of the example. And I know that his second year was the Kyrie year where everything was weird with the Celtics. But it was kind of like, man, how come he's still averaging 15 points a game? How come he never scores more than 20, 25 points? And yeah, obviously, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. But you were like, oh, maybe this isn't what we thought it was so quickly. And then there's other times where that story never, never turns around. And it actually just wasn't what you thought. And there's other times where it turns into Jason Tatum, who we have now and is an MVP candidate. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where maybe it's just a learning curve. It could just be a weird stretch of the season. I mean, over 82 games, you're going to have several 10 to 15 game stretches that are a bit weird. And, you know, right now, Greg, let me throw you a couple of stats here that I was looking up, trying to just figure out, how to feel or where this team is at. So over the last 15 games, they're eight and seven. They're basically a 500 team. You can go back a little bit further. They're, they're basically about 500 over the last 15 to 17, 18 games. Let's just take the last 15 games here. They are 27th in offensive rating in the last 15 games. So a pretty solid sample size. Yet somehow they're still, I think, first in offensive rating in the NBA, which shows you how insane their start was that you can go 15 games as the 27th offensive team in the league and still be first. 
their second and wide open three-point attempts during those 15 games getting 20.9, so just under 21 looks a game that are wide open. And wide open through NBA.com is defined as six-plus feet or more space to shoot. But they're only 26th in percentage. They're knocking those down at 32.8%. So that's a massive dip to what you're seeing with this offense. But kind of the weird part, and this is not the time to talk about their defense after the abomination against the Oklahoma City Thunder, but during those 15 games, they've, they're have third in defensive rate. Mm-hmm. So that's what leaves this team a little bit confounding is that within those 15 games or within whatever this last stretch is of 500 basketball, you still see the team that got you so excited at the beginning of the year. That was the team that made the run to the finals. But then you get too often in this last stretch, the games of, eh, it's one game, Oklahoma City. And eh, it's just one mm-hmm. night, Indiana. And eh, it's just one one of those things against the Magic. Well, when those keep happening, and when the teams behind you, like Brooklyn, win 12 in a row, when Cleveland Cavaliers have a dude dropping 71 points and they're a game and a half behind you. You know, when you have Joel Embiid also playing at an MVP level, James Harden coming back, Tyrese Maxey coming back, and all of a sudden that lead that you had is no longer what it was. It's hard not to, to feel questioning of this team. But the thing that I keep coming back to is – other than which, which I I hate doing because it's so subjective, is it's focus, it's energy, it's bringing it every night. Because I mean, these guys are professionals; they're humans also, but they're professionals, and so yeah, duh, that kind of comes with like w- the territory of what you need to do. It's where do you even go to 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 find the changes? Where where are you looking to find these upgrades? Other than like I said, I, I've laid out the open shooting statistics, knock down some more shots, but it's definitely mm-hmm. not that simple. Yeah. And I think another, you know, all those statistics you just gave me go back to my earlier point that I was making about the success being a function of realistic expectations. At the beginning of the year, and when we went on that huge winning streak, all of a sudden we're having thoughts like maybe this is a historically great team. Like maybe we're going to remember this team 50 years from now as one of the best Celtics teams ever to have existed. Right. So then we start looking for evidence that they are that team. And the more and more you lose these games to the teams that you just mentioned in the Thunder last night, the Pacers, two to the Magic, all that stuff, historically great teams do not lose those games, right? So we kind of have to throw that narrative out the window. This Celtics team is not historically great, which is fine. They can still win a title and not be historically great, right? So they can just be a really good team and still have a lot of success this year. We kind of have to temper those expectations, which isn't me. I'm not saying we don't criticize them and we don't look for ways to improve, but we just have to stop acting like, you know, this team is that historically great team right now, because more likely than not, they're, they, you know, they're not going to be that team. Yeah. They're going to be the team that most people are predicting to win mid fifties, not mid sixties, you know? And uh, that's kind of why I'm feeling a lot better today is I'm like, okay, but here's, here's where we are. There are a lot of things that the Celtics need to improve. They're not going to be a historically great team. So let's just find the incremental improvements that we can make without acting like the sky is falling because too many people are saying the sky, the sky is falling. And so along the lines of improving, you and I were debating, what are we going to talk about today besides Luca and Tatum, which we're going to do a big breakdown here on in a minute. What else are we going to we're going to talk about? And, and, you know, you floated out the idea. Well, you know, like, I mean, and, and this is very popular rhetoric on Twitter is when something a game like like the Oklahoma City game happens. You already talked about the Joe Missoula factor, but it's we, we need to we need to trade somebody. We need to find something new. And we kind of floated that out as a segment. And there's a February 9th trade deadline coming up. We've touched a little bit on it that the Celtics are in a unique position where 
you know, especially when we were we were thinking of this team the way we were about a month ago. It's like, man, I ain't giving up anybody in that rotation. So therefore, you're left with, all right, who are you trading on the back end, whether it's Gallinari, who's injured and has a decent sized contract, and then you're just left with kind of Peyton Pritchard, Justin Jackson, all guys making $2 million or less, dollars, of which it's really hard to compile value. Trade exceptions are all about $6 million and under. And then the Celtics do have some picks, but... You know, for those that want to make a trade, those that think the trade is the way to go to to change up whatever it is, I challenge you to find a trade because we floated this as a topic and I tried looking around at what would make sense, what I would actually give up and where I think upgrades need to be made. And I don't necessarily think that the trade route is the way to do it unless there's something outside the box. That's why I want to I want to see if there is something that you thought of, because I don't even know where I would look to for something that makes sense, because I still believe in this rotation. I still believe in the core of this team. And other than Grant for now, it's tied up for the next three to four years or so. Jalen, Jalen Brown extension pending, you know it's really tied up into what this team is. And I believe it can be really, really good, really, really high level. And I'm just not at a point where I would really feel inclined to go make a major move unless something blew me away. And it's hard to find a path out there. But did you see anything else as we floated this around as a as a topic for today? No, I mean, I didn't really more. It was a thought exercise for me, just th- not necessarily exploring all the trade candidates and like putting things into the trade machine and stuff like that. It was more just like evaluating what we have and like, do I think the Celtics will make a trade? Do they need to make a trade? And I don't think they do. Um, I Like you said, I believe in the rotation. Maybe there, maybe it's something as like, we hope that Gallinari can be back by the playoffs. Like maybe that's an addition that, that you know, he's posting things on the internet. Maybe that's just internet content, but mm-hmm. it seems like he has a goal to be back this season. And I think Gallinari, when healthy, could definitely help this team. So that is something to keep your eye on. You know, that he would definitely be in the rotation if he was healthy. But if you're not trading Gallinari's contract and you're looking at other guys in the team that could be traded, that actually have value and that have contracts that can get you something back, you know, then you're talking about like a major move in the rotation, like Mm -hmm. trading Malcolm Brogdon, trading Derek White, like, God forbid we trade Marcus Smart. The the year we all think Marcus Smart is no longer going to be involved in trade discussions. <laughs> the fir- this is the, the first year, it year it's, not, it's a topic that's off the board, and then we get blindsided. By yeah, it. that would be the way that it goes down. Right? Like maybe there's something huge. Like, oh my gosh, we just traded Al Horford. Like, what are we doing? We didn't. I don't think we can because we extended him. But yeah. um, you know, like one of those moves that's out there. And then you have to think, okay, what is actually out there that the Celtics could get back to improve them. And to me, the only improvements would be like a two for one type of deal that that bring in somebody with a bit more scoring punch. Um, you know, I I haven't looked into this. I haven't thought about it. First name yeah. that just popped in my brain, like Zach Levine. You know, somebody like that that's, that's out there. One. That's a big that's, swing. Yeah. That's a big swing. You know what I mean? Just like someone who's like, oh, we traded Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon and we got Zach Levine back. The Bulls wouldn't do that. I'm not, yeah. I, I recognize that. But just some a deal like that mm-hmm. where we make we trade two for one, we get somebody back, and we're like, okay, now we know. Like, yeah, Derek White can have games where he looks great. Malcolm Brogdon can have games where he looks great, but they haven't been quite as consistent as we needed them to be. They haven't stepped up in moments where, you know, one of the Jays Mm -hmm. wasn't playing great. And that's what we need from them. So the fact that we haven't gotten that from them as frequently as possible, maybe we do need to make a two-for-one deal. I don't think we will. I don't think we need to, but it's, it's crossed my mind. Yeah, I mean, I expect the trade deadline to be relatively quiet. The, the only thing that I could really see 
as as a move is it, anything that would qualify as a a major or impactful move would be somehow uh, you know getting a team to take on Gallinari's player option for next year along with maybe Peyton Pritchard in a pick and I think that's about as adventurous and I don't even know what and that gets the, you to what ten mil around there yeah it gets you it gets you about nine mil ten mil in that range and even then I don't really know who that player is. I mean, I, I think the most obvious one that stands out at that percentage would be Jay Crowder, but I don't know that mm-hmm. that's, you know, and, and maybe the, and the one thing that I did think Tough. of, yeah, exactly. And that was the one thing that I really kind of saw that I was like, maybe this would be is a guy who in a game like last night in a game like Indiana is, you know, you don't have to worry about the mentality for the most part of a guy like Jay Crowder. I also thought about old friend Javante Green, who's on a who's on a very team friendly deal of about like it's just under two million dollars. Is that those guys are going to give a crap in a game like last night? And maybe if they get in the game early and they kind of are the ones to shake it up a little bit and you know say, hey guys, let's let's wake the f up and not get our asses kicked, like Jalen Brown said. You know that then maybe those are the guys, but but also. I don't know how much, you know, especially in the Javante Green case, I don't know how much they're actually going to play when it matters. So I don't know really what that move is. And I also, when it comes to a guy like Peyton Pritchard, you know, Brogdon has an injury history. Smart gets banged up when he goes for loose balls. Like, that's a nice luxury. He's a nice luxury, even if he's not a guy that you want that, that you know, he. we've seen him play. We've seen him play in the playoffs to make a difference last year. So if you have to go to him, that's nice to have when you know that you may have guys that could sustain injuries and hurt you, and he can be a threat from deep. So I don't know. Maybe I like having that luxury more than whatever, quote-unquote, energy those guys would bring. Yeah, to the point of Peyton Pritchard and how much we believed in him last year, and I still believe in Peyton Pritchard. Um, like, you know, uh, Christian Bale believed in Harvey Dent, and Batman believed in Harvey Dent. Like, I, be- <laughs> I believe in Peyton Pritchard. Now, think about the finals last year. I think it was game four. Peyton Pritchard's coming up on the left wing and takes an early in the shot clock three-pointer that he bricks. As he's taking that, we probably could have got a much better shot than that. But mm-hmm. as he was taking that shot, I was like, ooh, it's probably not a good shot, but I believed it was going in, and I was okay with that shot, right, in a big moment. And that was Peyton Pritchard in the finals last year. This year, he hasn't gotten the opportunity, but I still think that he, that player is there that we all yeah. believe in, you know what I mean? Now, of all the guys that you just mentioned, I have one either-or question for you. Which I think they're they're roughly the same contract. Uh, how much is Crowder? Do you know? Uh, it's somewhere around nine ten million. I don't have okay. it in front of me, but it's about nine ten. Million. If you had to choose, and it's Gallinari and Pritchard, mm-hmm. and get your Jay Crowder or Alex Caruso, who are you going with? Ooh, that is a great one. I really like Caruso, but I I, I would probably go Crowder just for the size. I like. I think that the the depth that we have on our on our wings and Jalen Brown just didn't play the majority of that. But I think our next best option when it comes to wing depth is playing all three of our guards together. And Caruso could do that. But now you have four guards. Now you have four guards that you're trying to figure out where they fit in. And neither are the best shooters. Jay Crowder can get streaky. You know, yeah. we've seen it when he was in Boston, and we've seen it when he's made a couple finals runs. Uh, and he's played in two finals. And uh, yeah. Caruso did too as well. He actually won with the Lakers. So. It, I, I do like that that either or. Um, I would lean Crowder, but I do love the way that Alex Caruso plays. I just think then you're in this four guard predicament and you're still lacking a little bit on size. So I would lean to Crowder for for that reason. <laughs> and I know we just gave up 150 points to the Thunder, but if you <laughs> add Alex Caruso, you have the best defensive foursome 
in the league. <laughs> like, I just think Alex Caruso, if you put him watch in out, Lou Dort, watch out, Josh Giddy. If, if 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 we only had Alex Caruso, Jalen Williams wouldn't have gotten four straight wide open dunks in the middle of the lane last night. Oh, that was pathetic last night. But I I do think Caruso is one of those guys that will never have a bad defensive game. He yeah. like that is how he makes his money. Like Derek mm-hmm. White has a good reputation as a defender, but he's he's not an A plus defender. Malcolm and Malcolm Brogdon's not an A plus defender. Marcus Smart, he's probably an A, right? Maybe not an A plus. There's still some types of guys that can give him some issues. Uh, Caruso can guard pretty much anybody. He's mm-hmm. really tough. He gives people problems, and he's in. He's happy playing 15 minutes a game and just like doing the PJ Tucker and not For taking sure. any shots. Guard version, you know? yeah. So I, I I would rather have Alex Caruso in that situation, and I think I want to start the Caruso to Boston train. Hey, I mean, like I said, not opposed, but also highlighting once again that in this 500 stretch, our offensive rating is 27th, our defensive rating is third. Size and slightly better offense, I'd go Jay Crowder, but I wouldn't be opposed to I think both are guys that are, are worth considering depending on the price. But once again, I think the prices for both of those guys are probably going to get outside of what makes sense. And I, you know, I'm fine with end of the day, I'm fine with rolling with the team that we have. I think there's enough internal improvements that this team is going to be right there, championship wise, as long as it remains healthy. So we'll leave it at that. We will pick up the discussion on where this team is at next time we, we get back on this pod or next after we go through a couple more games here. But as you're listening to this, you're probably wondering, when are we going to talk about the Celtics and Mavericks? Well, we're going to kind of do that, but we're going to do it in the framework of Luka Doncic versus Jason Tatum this year, generationally, and talk about these two studs in the way that they deserve to be. All right, Greg. So, Coming up here, as you're listening, as those of you that are listening to this on a Thursday morning, once again, we're recording Wednesday afternoon. We're on the precipice of a historical matchup with Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum, two generational talents, and two of the top five MVP candidates. We're going to do a deeper dive when it comes to MVP candidates. We're, we're somehow, which seems freaking wild that we're, we're already at basically the halfway point by the end of this weekend or early next week. So in one of our upcoming pods, we will do a check-in on our second quarter, all NBA and MVP rankings that we have that we did from the first quarter. Both of these guys made the top five for MVPs in the first quarter. And spoiler alert, they're both going to make the top five when we do the second quarter ones as well. So, Greg, I know you wanted to kind of break this down from the criteria. When you look specifically at these two guys, mm-hmm. you have some criteria that that you're looking at from these guys that I, that I know you wanted to, to talk through. Yeah, just for like MVPs in general, here's – and this is a work in progress. I'm not saying this is defined as this is 100% my belief. But here's my criteria for an MVP ranked in importance. You tell me how you feel about this criteria first, then we can get into how Luca and Tatum meet that criteria. Mm-hmm. Number one, must have individual greatness. Number two, must have team success. Number three, must have MVP moments. Number four, must have an effect on teammate performance. Number five, must have a two-way impact. Number six, must have a media narrative. Okay, and that's and that's how you rank those as well, or those are just the yes. six. That's how okay. that's cur- currently that's how I'm I'm open to changing some around, but that's how I have them right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, I think all six of those play into this, and then it, there's different scales for each of them, right? Where mm-hmm. sometimes the media narrative, sometimes over, even though I'm with you that it's sixth, but sometimes it's overwhelming, and it's something yeah. that compels you to then move it to maybe a number two. Even for sure. So, so to the for my thinking, it's like this is how I define it. It's not necessarily how MVPs have been decided in the past. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in some in some capacity, all six of those fall into the thinking of voters, of fans that like to sit at the bar and have a discussion of it. All six of those elements, and I, I don't think off the top of my head, there isn't one that I would add to it. I think I think those six all play uh, a pretty big role in it. So, so where do you want to go from here with, with talking about about these six? Just kind of go individually through them. Let's go. Okay, let's do this in two segments. First, I'm just going to tell you the criteria, and you mm-hmm. tell me. Who would you pick, Luca versus Tatum? Yep. Okay. Let's go right down the list. Individual greatness. Luca. Team success. Tatum. MVP moments. Luca. Effect on teammate performance. Tough one. Luca. That's a tough one, but I'm, I'm gonna lean Luca. Two way impact. Tatum. Narrative. That's another tough one. I would. I'm, I'm going to go Luca on this one as well. So I think I went four to four to two. Luca, I think is what what ended up going there. Would, oh. would, would that be your same score? Um, let's let's talk. I'm I'm going to break it down. I haven't okay. quite decided. I'm going to give you some stats for each of these. Okay. So here's what I came up with for individual greatness. Starting with Luca, he has eight 40 point games. Three of those eight are 50 point games. One of those eight is a 60 point game. He has eight triple-doubles, and he's first in the league in offensive win shares at 5.4. Tatum, six 40-point games, offensive win shares, 10th in the league at 3.4. So just in terms of like individual greatness, I think Luka gets gets that category. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, that that's one that I think definitely skews towards Luka. I know last night I was watching, as I was watching that, the Celtics-OKC game, uh, I like to watch on League Pass, so they'll go through and sometimes give, like, the NBA Players of the Week just came out, and Chris Tapps Porzingis got it in the East, Luka got it in the West, and I literally almost spit out my drink when it showed his 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 week of stats <laughs> because it was, like, 47.8 points per game, 19 rebounds, and 11 assists. Like, it was just Silly. stupid. Yeah, absolutely silly. Okay, so one for Luca there. Team success, I think this, this one's pretty easy. The Mavs, uh, though not as Streaky. far away. Yeah, not as far away as you might think. 22 and 16 for the Mavs, fourth in the West. Celtics 26 and 12, first in the league with Brooklyn nipping at their heels. All right, so Celtics get that one. So that's one for Luca, one for Tatum. MVP moments. This is where it gets interesting. So I did this in a couple ways. First, their top five games averages. Okay, so I took their five best games of the season, mm-hmm. and here are their averages. Just that basic stat line. Luca's top five games, averaging 47, 13, and 12. Tatum's top five games, 41, 8, and 4. Okay. Okay. Luca moments, right? So we're, this is the category of MVP moments. Luca has his 60, 20, and 10 triple-double. In national TV games, Luca has played in seven national TV games. He is four and three in those national t- TV games. His numbers are 34.6, 9.3, 8.4. Jason Tatum, uh, let's start with the national TV games, is 8-1 in, in national TV games. I'm not counting NBA TV. Um, yeah, yeah, no one should. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is 31.8, 8.6, and 
right? So once again, team success, Luca's slightly better numbers, but Tatum's numbers are ridiculous mm-hmm. in those games. Tatum moments. Tatum has the Christmas Day drubbing of the Bucks, the choke back game against the Lakers, both of those on national television. He has that negative, though, 18 points in the rematch against the Warriors, highly publicized game. He has the block on Luca in the head-to-head on national TV, which is a huge moment. So this is a tough one. I'm going to give this to Tatum over Luca. Yeah, I think this one is this one is super tight. And I think this one right now, you could go, I think, either way with it as we're approaching about roughly 40 plus games into the season or around 40 games of the season. I think this is almost going to be a, a little bit of like college football. It's kind of like the what's the lasting impression mm-hmm. that you have? Does Luca get a game or Tatum get a game where it's the 70th game of the season? And it really kind of stamps, oh, you're getting the one seed, or oh, you're taking out like another that, MVP. In the candidate. Westbrook MVP season when he had that buzzer beater from Dude, like we are best friends for a reason. <laughs> that was as you were talking, that image of him hitting that buzzer beater, I think against the Nuggets, was the first thing that jumped to my head where like I think that clinched it when everyone that was kind of on the fence was was it him? Was it Harden? Mm-hmm. Was it Kawhi that year? When Westbrook hit that buzzer beater. And now it's it's so funny to listen to almost every national member was like they, they all regret that season. But yeah. I think it's that moment that really kind of sealed the deal for Russell Westbrook. Yeah, for sure. And to your point, you're just making about the lasting impact. What's interesting, Luca's three losses in national TV games were his first three national TV games this year. He's four and oh in his last four. So yep. And you look at the eight-game winning streak and them trending up. Celtics kind of trending down slash 500 over the last 15 games like we talked about. Um, So, yeah, so I think that it leans Luka, but I also think you could make a case for Tatum. So to call that a draw or even or neutral, whatever you want to say at this point, I think Mm -hmm. that'd be totally fair. Yeah. Okay, criteria four, effect on teammate performance. This is just such a tough one because Tatum's roster is so much better than Luka's roster. I do think Luka does more with less. Um, You know, maybe he doesn't quite, maximize the playmaking of other other players but like why would you want the ball in anybody's hands other than Luca when when he's so damn good but at the same time that's what probably breaks it down a little bit when you get deeper mm-hmm. and deeper into the postseason and you have higher and higher level defenses that can at least make that more troubling yes and, and, in, and in a weird way this number four criteria plays into the number six criteria for me which is the media narrative which is going to be exactly what you just said luca does more with less which i think this has been his entire time in dallas which is part of what separates him a little bit when we talk about you know we've done before who are the top guys under 25 and i think at this point there's three guys and there's really two at the top Zion's in the mix, but he keeps getting hurt, which he just did again. So it's hard yeah. to really put Thanks. him. I think when healthy, he's right there with, with, you know, what Tatum and what Luca are mm-hmm. Zion is Zion is still a can be Morant's right there as well. So I don't want to leave him out, but I think with Tatum and Luca, they're clearly the one, two guys under 25 years old that you look to, but it's always, man, look at what Luca's done with how much little support that he has had in his time in Dallas. Yeah. And you compare that with the guys that, Tatum's play with even when it wasn't great with those Kyrie years he still had Kyrie Gordon Hayward Al Horford one time Al Horford again you know you know it's just the the list goes on and on of guys that then you've seen Terry Rozier go and have success in Charlotte regardless of you know what you think about that team he's a a guy Marcus Morris exactly Marcus Morris another guy I was thinking of as well and so he's just had so much more to work with that I do think that also plays into like I said that number six point which is that media narrative of Mm -hmm. Luca doing more with less For sure. And then I think the other argument for Tatum on teammate performance, 
because he is kind of like a Swiss army knife on the offensive end this year, he's screening more, he's cutting more, he's relocating more. I think that effect that he has on, on teammate performance can also, you know, be taken into account because he does more to help his teammates out besides just do what Luca does, which is just be a black hole in a good way. Right. Where every, (laughs) everything is just converging around him because he has so much gravity Mm -hmm. and he's able to just throw every single pass in the book. But hold on, before you move on from that, Mm because I think for Tatum, the other point would be on the defensive end. I think he helps. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. That's that's the next one here. Okay. So criteria number five, two way impact. So ostensibly my favorite word, Tatum is better, right? He's just a better defender except for last night where I thought he was the worst defensive player on the floor. The, the whole it team. Was, it, it was, it was a whole team thing. I'm not even going to, it was, yeah, let's not get into yeah. that. But t- yeah, Tatum, you know, he, he, he steps up in big moments. He guards, he wants to guard the other team's best wing. Um, he does a great job playing his role on the defensive end as well. Some of those, some of that will be guarding point guards and chasing them over screens, which is not an easy thing to do. He tries really hard on the defensive end. Um, Tatum's just a better defender. Luca's basically a turnstile. Defensive win shares, which my brother believes in a lot, and he's a stat nerd, so I'm just going to take his opinion on this. I don't necessarily care much for defensive win stare shat. I don't. It's, I, a, it's, a, it's a schmorp and a vorp for you, like yeah, uh, like yeah. exactly, Alexa said. But because this is part of my criteria, and my brother, wait, what, what did must- you lead the podcast with? Uh, trying to to find things that that fit your belief? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My brother was like, you have to include this. Luca, third in the league, defensive win shares, 1.9. Tatum, seventh in the league at 1.8. Do with that stat what you will. Tatum's a better defender. Yeah. All right. That's that's easy. Yeah. Final narrative. Luca coming into the season. The inevitable, inevitable, like Thanos, MVP, who just upset the number one seed Suns in last year's playoffs. He's kind of just like assumed to get MVPs at some point in the future. Um, as you were saying, what was the point you were just making about the narrative? The more that more with he, less. He's done right? more, he does more with less than any other player, especially of his age, and, and mm-hmm. makes his team at least have a chance to be great. Yep. Tatum, slow starter who just led team to the finals where he underachieved. He needed to prove that he learned lessons from the finals full circle earlier in the pod. Came out scorching hot, Eastern Conference Player of the Month for October and November, and he was the favorite for MVP in most on most betting sites and among the I think it was the ESPN poll. Mm-hmm. So those are the two narratives as as currently constructed. Luca's trending up in terms of media conversation. Tatum trending down just a little bit. Yeah, and, and and you know we're like I said we're gonna have a deeper discussion about all MVPs in you know in the next pod or two. And I, I really think this year, especially over the last three to four weeks, every single week you could have a different five. There's about six guys that I think are seriously in consideration, maybe seven. And I think there could be a different slotting of all those guys depending on the week, especially as the as the standings continue to shrink and shrink and get closer and closer. And for Luca, I, I think right now we're at a time in the season where, like you said, his trajectory is up. Tatum's a little bit down. So I think Tatum, while I probably would have had him number one still after the first quarter up until maybe two weeks ago, Luca's probably in that spot. Now, I haven't I haven't decided yet because we're going to let a couple more games play out before we get into it. But, you know, it, it does feel like from a narrative perspective, besides just the doing more with less, I, I, I think going into the season, you and I were even saying, 
this feels like Luca or Embiid's time to win or Giannis. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of those three are the ones that that you felt like, and there was a pretty popular narrative of when will be the next American to win to, to win an MVP, right? Yep. We've had Giannis back to back, Jokic back to back. I mean, shoot, Jokic should be in this conversation again because he's been unbelievable. Yeah. And and then you look at the season Luca's having, and I and I think right now, if I had to decide where that media narrative is is going. Two or three weeks ago, especially around Christmas time, you know, even Christmas, maybe maybe Tatum had a slight lead again. Well, Luke is back in the lead now, eight yeah. game win streak, and so this is one that I think is going to go go back and forth. And it, you know, ultimately, this will probably actually mirror the team success. Is what is what I would predict is is how the media narrative plays out, mm-hmm. and it probably shouldn't matter over an eighty two game sample size. But Tatum's up one zero on Luca, and he had that big moment. So if yeah. Tatum goes up 2-0 and balls out and outplays Luca in Dallas uh, tonight, for those of you listening, you know that that might mean something in voters' eyes. Yeah, and, and you know both of these guys are are just insane. So here, let me just run through. So Luca is in his fifth season. Tatum's in his sixth season. I want to lay out kind of their stats right now, and then some of their credentials against others at this time. So Luca's in his fifth season. He's twenty three years old. He's averaging 34.3 points per game, 8.8 rebounds, 8.9 assists on 50, 36, 74 shooting splits. He's a three-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, and I think really important, all of those are first team. I, I'm That's one of my biggest criteria when thinking about who are the best players in the league and where your status is when you retire. Tell me about your first and second team All-NBAs because that, to me, really shows you're a top 10 guy. If you're a top 10 guy, we talked about this when we did our top 50 list. Pencil them in for first or second team if they're healthy. That's all you need to know. Is that guy healthy? He's making first or second team every single time. And that really shows you where they're at in the league. For Tatum, he's in his sixth year. He's age 24. Averaging 30.9 points per game, 8.1 rebounds, 4.1 assists on 47, 35, 85 shooting splits. Talked about where his defense is at as well. For his career, three-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, one first team, and then has that Eastern Conference Finals MVP from last year, which goes along with the team success that he's had. So when you think about these guys, it's insane the seasons that they're having. A lot of people are having insane seasons right now, but for the age that the two of them are at, the success that they're having, it makes you think about what what does that look like for for some of the greats that you might compare them to. So just for reference, age 23 season, Kobe Bryant, 25 points, five and a half rebounds, five and a half assists. LeBron, 30 points, 7.9 rebounds, 7.2 assists. Sounds a little bit like Luka. And then just for fun, I threw an MJ in here because his stats are just so absurd. 37.1 points <laughs> per game, 5.2 assists, 4.6, excuse me, 5.2 rebounds, 4.6 assists. And just, just for the hell of it, he had three steals a game. Like, that is some untouchable crap. That is That is just insane what MJ puts up there. But what I was looking at with Luka and Tatum is if you look at, Tatum as Kobe and Luca as LeBron. Now, without the defense, when it comes to to Luca, to the level of LeBron, you have some pretty interesting comparisons about potentially what their career trajectory might look like. Mm-hmm. And it sounds insane because you're talking about LeBron, who for most people is in the top two to three of all time. Kobe, for me, he's top ten. I don't know, he's somewhere towards the back half of that that yeah. that, that ten list. But that could be kind of what we're looking at with Luca and Tatum here, and just you know, the it's, next it's, LeBron, it's just Kobe. Yeah. 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 I mean, the the difference being, you know, LeBron was probably the best wing defender in the league for a couple of years in his prime. And Luca doesn't have that. 
Um, which, but- which weirdly enough, Greg, just so as you say that, it's it's I was looking at their, you know, age 23 seasons. MJ and Kobe, both before they were 23, had made all defensive teams. Kobe, LeBron didn't make an all defensive team until 08, 09. So it mm. took him until about age 25, 26 before he made an all defensive team, which just doesn't seem right thinking back on LeBron's career, to your point. But I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. And I mean, Kobe, I think he probably had a few more all defensive teams based on reputation towards the latter part of his career. But he was a great defender. He picked yep. up 94 feet. He would guard point guards, and he'd do a great job of it. Uh, Jordan, obviously, great defender, great in passing lanes, one of the best athletes we've ever seen. And then LeBron, I think once he didn't have to do quite as much on um, on the offensive side of the ball and he could focus a little bit more on defense, that's when you really saw that mm-hmm. potential. And obviously, you know, he has the highlight plays on the defensive end with the chase down blocks and all that stuff. So – yeah, that's really interesting, man. I think, you know, when we think historically about these guys, what it's going to come down to probably is just the final stuff, the rings conversation that always mm-hmm. happens. Um, I would expect Luca. The West is tough, man. A lot of great players out in the West. I don't know when Luca's going to make his first finals. I would expect it to be in the next three years. I I think this year is the Nuggets. I think this is where Jokic, similar to Giannis, where he had two back-to-back MVPs. People didn't want to vote for him third year because he hadn't made a finals. Then he goes mm-hmm. and wins the finals that that year that he didn't win MVP. I think that might be in the cards for Jokic this year. And then Tatum's already got one. He's made, what, three Eastern Conference Finals? Four Eastern Conference Finals now? It's three, it's three Eastern Conference Finals, two in which you can really say he was the, the best player on the team. Yeah. And he's still coming into his own, man. He's still not in his prime. As you said, he's 24, turning 25 soon. But he he's gonna be completely dominant. And they're both pretty durable too, man. They're both yeah. gonna they're both gonna play a lot of games. So we're watching some of the best basketball I've ever seen. I'm super excited for the game uh tonight. Yeah, it, it, this is gonna be a fun matchup. Uh I just, you know, I love I think Tatum really gets up for these matchups we talked about it. i mean remember he almost sat out the previous game against the mavericks and then you know there was some some wondering i forget what the reason was at the time for why he might sit out but ultimately it was there's no chance in hell he's missing this game and then he goes out puts on a hell of a performance has the game winning block against luka Doncic. so you know that going into this game and it's going to be tough because like we said the mavericks are on an eight game win streak celtics have lost two in a row have been playing 500 ball and you know, they they absolutely need to come out and show out on national TV in this game because there is a lot of questions looking at the Celtics, especially after this beatdown from Oklahoma City, to show up and say, all right, who are you guys? Because, you know, people want to say it's the coaches. Some people want to say it's the players. Well, just collectively as a team, who are you guys right now when you're going up against uh, an MVP candidate, against a team that's, that's streaking? You know, mm-hmm. are you going to make a stand in Dallas? And I do think this is going to be – you know, it's it's as important as a game in January can be, right? Like, it's not yeah. – I, I don't want to make it seem like it's the end of the world the Celtics lose this game, but I do think it's important for them to to make a stand and at least they, they have to play – you know, Scal kept saying this, which it meant nothing but as much as Scal kept just saying, get back to playing Celtic basketball. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Scal. We, we know that. Thanks for the platitude, Scal. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with – you know, the conversation we had had going up to the Christmas Day game about how important it was, and it's more important to win that Christmas Day game than, you know, the the back-to-back losses to the Magic and they lost to the Pacers, the three-game losing streak. And when you think about teams like the Warriors this year, you think about teams like the Heat, 
for them, as long as they're winning those big games, you know that they're still going to be dangerous in the playoffs. Now, the conversation with the Celtics are obviously going to be dangerous with the playoffs. It's just that we we probably need to have a top two seed, probably the the number one seed to to win in the playoffs. So I I think that's more along the line because like if the Celtics just if we just win the big games. You know, and if you're looking at it from an outside perspective, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. They gave up 150 to the Thunder. They showed up and like dominated Luka. They showed up and beat the Bucks on Christmas. Yep. They won the second game of the rematch against the Warriors. Like all these all these little checkpoints that probably are a better test of how the team will perform when the lights are on, you know. So, yeah, it stinks that they lost for, you know, bring it full circle again to last night's game. It stinks that they lost to the Thunder. They're not playing good basketball. But we'll see how they play tonight against the Mavs. And uh, I expect them to show up. I expect Tatum and Brown both to be ready to play. And um, I'm excited for the Celtics to win this game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big Tatum night. Standings are getting tighter, so those games are going to matter more and more. And to your point, you know, I think there's five very, very good teams in the East. Get the hell out of that four or five matchup. Yeah. You do not want to have three rounds of trying to go through that gauntlet. That's that's I think that's gonna cross you off for me when we get to playoff time. That I'm I'm not even looking at those teams because that's just gonna be too tough to get yeah. through three rounds in the finals. So we'll see where the cards all fall. The cards will all fall where they may, and we'll discuss it when we come back next week. But that's gonna do it for this episode of Green with Envy. As always, Greg, it is a pleasure hanging out with you and talking it's about fun. Luca Tatum and all things Celtics. For as as bad as it looked coming into it, it leaves me feeling pretty good that this is where we wrap it up today. Uh, any final thoughts, and then let us know what we're gonna hear on the way out. Ah, uh, yeah, just last last thought. Let's just stop sounding the alarm. Stop <laughs> sounding the alarm. We 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 know the buttons there. We know we can press the button. Press Not the button. Take- Go ahead. Press the button. <laughs> Push your gosh darn button. <laughs> yeah, but shout out to you if you understand where that reference is coming from with our horrible impressions and trying not to do bad accents. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to play you out with some music from my band down here in Austin, Texas. We're called Black Sheep Optimus, and this one is called Skyline. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embody that would go with the flow I could sing a different song If I could not hit the notes You had me taking off When you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't Let's go